Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. This show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some killer free ebooks as well as drills and exercises that'll help you become more charismatic and confident by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, listen to the toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where you'll get the fundamentals of dating and attraction such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, all that stuff that's more important than you might think. We've got boot camps running every single month here in California. Details at theartofcharm.com, and I'm looking forward to meeting all of you guys here at The Art of Charm. Enjoy. Hey, guys. Today we're talking with my friend John Corcoran. He is a really interesting dude. He used to work for Clinton up in the White House. Really good guy. Has a lot of good skills. And today we're going to talk about why it's all about who you know and why that's actually a good thing instead of something to whine about how to start developing a network using some ninja networking skills, how to network even when you don't know anyone and you quote unquote have nothing to offer and you don't have any money and all that stuff, how to spark interesting conversations and connections, finding the right people to connect with at events and parties, getting over the fear of being fake or phony when you're networking, following up effectively with connections and making them count, how to measure your networking results and ensuring that you're getting some ROI for your time and efforts building your network. Enjoy this one from my friend John Corcoran. You work on and what you teach is gonna be very, very similar. There's a lot of overlap with what we teach at The Art of Charm in terms of our networking core values or our networking principles, I should say. The reason I got interested in social dynamics in general was because I was working at a law firm and I got hired by this partner, he's a cool dude, and then I never saw him, and everybody's like, oh yeah, your partner, that guy, he makes more money than all the other partners, he's the man, he's so cool, and I thought, wait, he makes more money, but he's never here? I am so confused. So what I did was caught up with him, we had coffee, and he's like, you can ask me anything, don't worry, you know, no bullshit, and I thought, okay, this guy's down to earth. So I was like, all right, dude, what's the deal? Everyone says you make more money than everybody else. You're never in the office. What's up? And I thought, I got a 50-50 chance of him being like, excuse me? But he was like, nah. He's like, here's the deal. All these guys, these other partners that are in the office on Sunday at 1 o'clock in the morning grinding away on some bullshit deal, he goes, they're just replaceable. They're peons. He's like, don't get me wrong. I respect them. They work hard. But there's always going to be somebody who's going to step up and take that guy's place if he decides he's had enough. Meanwhile, he's got like a wicked tan and like he's limping a little bit from a jujitsu injury I'd found out. And he's like, I do jujitsu every day. I go to the gym. I go to Cancun. I hang out. I just got back off of a charity cruise. I'm like a charity cruise. He's like, yeah, some other group of people, you know, wealthy private equity types or whatever. They had some charity cruise event that the firm paid him to go on so he could schmooze and drink and smoke cigars with like these wealthy elite deal makers and he would then, whenever they needed a real estate or a finance deal done, he'd be like, yeah, bring it on over to the firm. And they'd be like, yeah, cool, no problem, John, or whatever, and they would sign a, a deal. So he's like, I can't get fired, and they have to keep me fat and fed because otherwise I'll leave and I'll take all of these wealthy clients somewhere else. I was like, wait a minute, let me get this straight. The commas and documents, the paragraph indentations, all this crap, the spreadsheets I've been doing, which I hate, are all secondary to going out having fun with other people, getting them to like and trust you, and then closing that business, that's more lucrative. That's my dream job. And he goes, every industry is the same, dude. It's true. I mean, this guy could be working in many different industries. You know, he's just a personality type. And he recognizes that, sure, it's important to master your skill to be a good lawyer or to be a good insurance person or to be a good real estate agent, whatever it is. But beyond that, those are replaceable skills. The ability to be able to find a client, to nurture a relationship with them, to bring them in, that is a much more valuable skill. And, you know, people, it's like a derogative term. They refer to it as like a soft skill. Well, really, it is an important 
skill. It doesn't matter that it's soft or hard or whatever. There's a term that they use in law firms that I've heard thrown around. It's grinders, finders, and minders. They're three different kinds of lawyers, but it could really apply to other industries as well. And finders are the ones who go out there and they find the work and they bring it in. And the grinders and the minders are the ones who just grind it out or who mind the existing clients and, and make sure that they can continue to be clients. And those two skills are really kind of lesser skills. And, and I've had the same experience in my career where I learned that early on from other lawyers that really the important skill is developing those relationships. And, and no matter what industry you're in, it's really crucial. It's really a crucial skill. And I, I think that having a large network, having a lot of people who you have trusted relationships with, whether it's these private equity guys that you go on a cruise with or other people in your network or friends or whatever, that is the greatest job security you'll ever have. Because if your employer, if you're employed, or if you're self-employed, like you and I are, and a lot of people listening, if you're self-employed and if you have that strong network like that, then it's the greatest job security ever. Yeah, it's really amazing because when that firm had trouble, he was like, screw it. And he just bounced into another firm as a senior partner. If your law firm's going under and you're a partner, they will never bring you in unless you bring in clients because they don't need worker bees. Back then, especially 2007, the market was down. Worker bees were a dime a dozen. So why would you bring in a partner that's going to take equity and get an $800,000 a year salary when you can bring in you know, some sort of mid-level associate who's like, holy crap, I don't have a job anymore. And you're like, well, you're going to take a pay cut, but you'll be you know, financially stable. They'll be like, okay, sign me up. Meanwhile, some other guy says, Hey, I've got, you know, $3 million in client business every year that's now not got a home. You guys want to hire me? And somebody says, yeah, I'll pay you a million dollars a year. And you go, mm, okay, what are you offering over there? Oh, we'll pay you $2 million for those $3 million. And you go, mm, anybody else? Is that the final <laughs> offer? It's like you're the bell of the ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you go around bidding your services to different places. And, you know, this is applicable to many different industries. I had a lunch with another lawyer the other day who said that, one of his best investments was going to a fantasy baseball camp every summer. He did it for like five or six years in a row. He's crazy about baseball. And he'd go to this fantasy camp. And he said it cost him like five or six grand each time he went. But he got at least 200 grand worth of work out of it. Because much like that cruise that you were talking about, it's about finding the community that you can go into, that you can build relationships with people. It doesn't matter that the community happens to be around baseball or it happens to be around a charitable cruise or something like that. It matters that it's a community of people who may potentially have work that would be valuable for you. And it's a community of people that you can connect with, that you can build a relationship with. And over time, they grow to trust you. And then eventually, the, if they have work that needs to be done that is appropriate for you, they'll send it your way. It's not that complicated when you really boil it down. There's always people, especially when I lived in Hollywood, there were people who were like, wah, 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 it's all about who you know. And I'm thinking to myself, thank God it's all about who you know. Because there's always gonna be somebody who can outwork you, there's always gonna be someone smarter than you. But really, networking, there's so little competition because really good networkers aren't competitive with each other for networks. Like you and I, when we met, we were like, almost it was like, how many other people can we introduce each other to? If there's competition in networking, it's how much value can I add to somebody else's life versus like trying to hide the ball. Whereas I'll throw Harvard under the bus. You get those Harvard law grads and they're like, you're like, oh man, I missed the Monday morning meeting because I was at the doctor. What did I miss? And they're like, oh, nothing. Or they send you like fake notes or they send mm. you no notes or they hide a book that you need in the library. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, that guy's going to be cutthroat. He's always going to be in the office longer. She's going to be, you know, really making my job really tough. Meanwhile, you get people who are really good at networking and they can't wait to trade Rolodexes. You know, when you're a good networker, you know that if you've got, a hundred high value people in your Rolodex and John Corcoran's got a hundred high value people in his Rolodex, there might be a lot of overlap, but the 20% that you don't know that I know and the other 20% that you know that I don't know, that's gold. Absolutely. You know that it's going to come around. I mean, Jordan recently moved to San Francisco. I live outside of San Francisco. And I love it when people move to, to my area because I have been living here for about 10 years and I know the area and I can make all kinds of recommendations and it's just fun for me. And so immediately I said, hey, here's a bunch of people you should meet. Here's some places you should go to. And I really enjoy that. And I know that it'll come around eventually, you know, and, and it has already. Jordan's already introduced me to, to some people that was valuable to me. But at 
at the heart of it, it starts with being useful and helpful to someone. And there's a great book, which I would recommend to anyone who's listening to this. It's called Give and Take by Adam Grant. It only came out about a year, year and a half ago. And the sum of the book is it finds that people who are givers rather than people who are takers who are you know most likely to think about what they can get first, but the people who think, what can I give to someone else First, those are the people who are most likely to rise to the top of the success ladder. And they back up that argument with just dozens and dozens of academic studies and social science research that show in many different ways how that borns out to be true. But I want to give a few specific examples of individuals because history, especially American history, is riddled with thousands of examples of people who came from very, very humble or poverty, just complete poverty, or, you know, origins, and worked their way up by building relationships. And I could give you a bunch of different examples, but here are two. Oprah Winfrey, we've all heard of Oprah today. She was born to an unwed teenage mother in rural Mississippi, and she worked her way up by building relationships with people. Never once did she say along the way, well, I don't deserve to be at the party. Well, what would anyone have any interest in talking to me? And she was one of the only African-American faces on daytime TV. That's a perfect example of even if you come from a completely humble origins, even if you have no great connections right now, even if you don't know who to reach out to, you can work your way up. And the second example I was going to give is Bill Clinton, who I used to work for when I worked in the Clinton White House. Same thing, came from the poorest state in the nation, Arkansas, was born to a mother who'd just been widowed, had very little money growing up. Did he let that hold him back? No. And these are just two prominent examples, but I'm sure that you can think in your history, people that you know, or other examples of people who come from very humble origins, and they don't let that get in the way. They know that you build relationships one at a time, you work your way up, you give help to other people, help them get ahead, and they'll help you get ahead. Again, you know, all about giving, it's such the cliche on the show, giving value, giving value. But in networking, it's a real legitimate skill set to figure out how to give value. And we're going to talk a lot about that. I mean, you, your bio speaks for itself. Former Clinton White House writer. Now you've, you, you know, you're a small business attorney. So we have that in common. Just being a blogger slash internet person in general, it's all about networking for us. There's a lot of guys on the web who I've, worked with in some capacity or another, and some of them have screwed me over a little bit, and I look at where their growth is, and it's like, they're just kind of plateauing, they're not doing a whole lot, and I'm thinking, that's strange because his content might be good, or that's strange because his, his strategies are in place, and then I think, oh wait, but didn't he kind of screw me over on this really petty little thing that doesn't make any sense, and he didn't cross-promote the show we did, or something like that, and I'm thinking, oh, that's that's weird, he's probably doing that to everybody, and that's why you don't hear about him anymore. Right, absolutely. People get sick of that shit, man. They do, absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to whatever platform you're in, I have discovered that in the last couple of years that I've been building my online platform, one of the big mistakes that I made early on was I wasn't developing those relationships. And I didn't realize the importance of it. There are some people who start a blog and they just write day after day after day and they don't put a premium on building relationships with people. And that's really kind of a failed strategy no matter what industry you're in. And once I switched that around and I applied the skills that I've used in politics, I used them in Hollywood when I worked in LA in the entertainment industry, I used them in Silicon Valley when I worked in Silicon Valley. Once I applied those to the online world and to building relationships with people who are also building online platforms, that's when my growth really started to come. So whatever industry you're in right now, if you think about it and you start applying those skills and we can get into more specific strategies in building out your network and your relationship of people who are dedicated to the same industry or niche that you're in, and that's a key point, then you'll see the returns that you deserve. Yeah, and there's people listening right now, and let's just address this. You know, shouldn't I just be judged on the basis of my output and my merit? And, you know, I'm a great worker and I'm detail oriented. And I think it's bullshit that Jordan can go out there and schmooze and waste time and just get lucky and meet some guy and bring in business. I mean, wah, 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 that's not fair. And, you know, my boss would see through that or whatever. Well, first of all, if that's your attitude, then it probably extends to a lot of different things. First thing is having a positive attitude is is crucial and and not looking at other people and thinking, why do they have it and I can't, but what is stopping me now? Nothing's really stopping me now. So I think that's an important thing. It's really not about luck. It's really about the skill and it's really about providing value to other people. As we said, if you go out there and you help other people to succeed, that is the best way for you to exceed. And I think that 
to answer your concern that you've articulated here, there are two other examples of individuals that I'd like to bring up that are perfect examples. So when we think of successful, let's say, artists or icons, titans of industry, there are a couple of names that come to mind. And we often think that artists or musicians or filmmakers or actors, the reason they get ahead is purely on the basis of their skill. But I would argue that that's not true. No, they join uh, Scientology and then they get ahead from there. <laughs> well, that's a network in itself. So, you know, it's, it's funny because I always wondered why people would be dense enough to go in there. And honestly, the networking is probably unparalleled. The problem is it there's a drawback here and there. Yeah, it's you and Travolta and Tom Cruise all hanging out at a meeting, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the list of those people, it's like, it's a who's who. And so you think, no wonder people who probably go, this is insanity, you know, would join and go, you know, I'm just going to dip my toes in the water and, you know, get a couple jobs and establish myself. And then when you try to leave, they're like, whoa, no, that's not how this works. So just to give you an example, Steven Spielberg. Okay, so he's considered one of the greatest directors of his generation. But I love this story. When he was breaking into the industry, he knew where the people were that he needed to develop relationships with. And it was very simple for him. It was simple and complex. They were all on the studio lots. Of course, that was behind gates. So he had to figure out how to get into the community so that he could build those relationships so that he could become the world-class director that he is today. So what did he do? He put on a suit one summer in between college, and he goes down to Universal Studios. This is a true story. And he waves at the guard and walks on in. And then he walked around the lot all day, looking around at different things and getting a, a feel for it. Of course, he didn't meet many people that day. So he, what did he do? He went back and he did it again and again and again. This is a true story. And eventually started making relationships with people on the lot just by hanging out with them. For you, your particular community might be found all in one place, or it might be diversified as things tend to be today, but you need to find where that community is. And I'll give you one other example, Steve Jobs, another icon of industry. People consider, okay, you know, he came up with the ideas, the iPad and the iPhone and everything, all that kind of stuff. But early, early on in his career, when he was in high school, in fact, he befriended an HP engineer who lived down the block. He grew up in Silicon Valley, who really gave him his start. And then also when he was building Apple in his early 20s, he developed relationships with people who belonged to computer hobby clubs. And he developed relationships with people who owned computer stores at that time. And those were the key relationships that helped give him early staffing help, early engineers who worked on Apple. And also the buyers, the computer hobby stores were the ones who made early purchases of Apple computers and really helped that company take off in its early days. That's actually really nice because a lot of people are thinking, I don't have a lot of money and my network is really small. How do I get started? And, you know, I'm not important. I wasn't born into it. I used to think that. I used to think, man, it must be so nice to just have parents that, you know, grew up and went to a prep school and know everybody. And then now you know everybody and you can ask for stuff. But now my network is pretty awesome. And I'm thinking, wow, it just took a lot of work. That was it. It wasn't hard. It was just consistent. Yeah. And, and you know what? You can come from a rich background, but that doesn't mean that it's going to really help you because I went to an affluent high school in Southern California and there were plenty of rich kids at my high school who didn't amount to very much because they didn't put in the effort. And sometimes when you come from a more humble background, that gives you the drive. My parents were kind of middle class and I got this horrible crappy, a couple of crappy cars when I was in high school and I had classmates who had really nice cars, like given brand new cars at 16 that they usually, you know, drove into a tree six months later. Sure. But it really motivated me. And so I hope that people who do come from humble backgrounds, they feel like I don't have not enough money or time. That's another one, too. That's another big one that people complain about to me frequently is I don't have the time. How do you have the time to do this? But if you don't have the money, use that as a driver for you to develop those relationships. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, 
Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's get back to the show. Time is an objection for everything. Why you're not in shape, why you're not good with people, why you're not networking, why you don't have hobbies, why your kids don't know you, why your wife left you. I mean, there's a million. Yeah. Time is always the factor because people aren't prioritizing the right stuff. I want to discuss networking nuts and bolts because we all crave human attention. Relationships matter. You know, I grew up with a bunch of affluent, educated people too, and their connections were great up until about getting into college, you know, and then your mm-hmm. mom could buy your way in there, your dad could make a donation and get you in there. But then it kind of started to fail and flail a little bit. Sure, some people got jobs with their parents' company, but they're just as miserable as any job they would have gotten themselves anyway. There's always that guy who's got the large network who can manage and nurture relationships, and he's always getting ahead. And I see that in myself. When I left Wall Street, people were like, dude, you hit a speed bump, keep at it, you're gonna make a ton of money. And I thought, I'm gonna make a ton of money doing something else. It's just that I'm gonna like that something else, you know? Right. These days, we don't all stay with the same company for life. I don't know what the statistic is, but I know that most people switch companies and industries far more today than they used to. And so you're going to have to develop new networks throughout your lifetime, no matter where you live and, and what industry you're in. So, And it could even be just moving to a new company where you need to develop a new network and new relationships with people. So these are transferable skills. And as far as money goes, there are so many more free tools today than there used to be, you know, even before the the examples, you know, uh, Clinton, uh, Oprah, uh, Spielberg, when they were growing up, they didn't have these these free tools available. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have email. They didn't have a podcast that you could interview people on. And so these skills are really cheap or free tools that you can use. I mean, I've used my podcast. I've had it for about a year and a half now. It's cost me Definitely less than a thousand dollars total. Uh, everything that's over a, a year and a half time, and it's been a tremendous tool for me personally building relationships. I'm sure Jordan, you'd say the same thing, and others like John Lee Dumas who've been successful uh, podcasters would say the same thing. It's a great way to build a, a big network. But even if you don't have a podcast, let's say you, you could go out there and there could be someone that you admire that you want to interview, that you want to meet, 
and you go and request an interview to just transcribe it and put it on a, a blog somewhere or use the quotes from the interview for a newsletter. It doesn't matter. It's a great tool using interviews to develop relationships with people. I'll admit we started this show in part to deliver knowledge because we had a ton, but one of the reasons we thought it would be such a good idea to have it on a website is because we thought, oh my gosh, now we're going to be able to ask all these experts for their books and we're going to probably get them for free and like it's going to be awesome. We'll be able to get like DVDs and stuff for free and it's going to be so cool. And then of course, as soon as we got all that stuff, we were like, okay, a lot of this is crap. Now the show is a force. I say that not to brag, but just because it's been seven and a half years. If I, Well, hell, if I can't brag now, I'm never going to be able to. It's a force and I can say, hey, listen, this is the number one self-help show on iTunes. It's number two. The guy ahead of me is a New York Times bestselling author and writer and he's been in this same game as long as I have and I'm up there with iTunes rankings with Bill Maher and ESPN. Do you want to be on my show? And suddenly somebody who quote unquote doesn't have time to do media is like, yeah, should I just come over now or do you want to wait till next week? Because the demographic of men that are listening that are engaged and now that people don't go podcast, what's that? You know, now Mm -hmm. they don't have to explain it. And that's getting less and less. I mean, geez, in seven more years, probably wouldn't even have to tell people that it is a show that's going to be something that people have heard of, especially if we keep moving forward the way we are. And so it's an absolutely brilliant networking vehicle because it's free publicity and a free outlet for people. It's like running a blog was probably 10, 15 years ago where you say, I have a blog. People go, what's that? It's a website where I write about stuff and people come and look at it. Well, how many people look at it? tens of thousands. Oh my gosh, here's my book. Please write about it, right? Yeah. And it's the same thing now because it's so engaging and it's such a great way to reach out. And even if people don't want to be on the show, they usually go, you know what? I don't have time for this. I don't have a product out there, but you should meet this other guy. He's launching a book and best-selling authors tend to be best-selling authors because they have a great network, not necessarily the other way around. And I think that's an important point. A lot of best-selling authors are best-selling authors because of their network. They don't necessarily build their network because they're a best-selling author. That's right. Absolutely. And if people will tell you today, if you want to become a best-selling author, don't start writing your book. Start developing your relationships. Start a blog or a podcast and start interviewing others, and then eventually they'll return the favor for you. But I do want to make one point just for anyone who's listening to this who's thinking, oh, well, I don't have an Art of Charm style podcast. I don't have that many downloads. Therefore, I can't do it. Well, Art of Charm had to start somewhere. Oh, yeah. We were begging people to put our link on a blog that got a 1,000 visits a month at most, if they were lucky. Yeah, of course. So you can do it even if you don't have a huge following. In fact, you ask enough people, and you're probably going to get a lot of people to come on. I mean, my podcast receives a fraction of as many downloads as Art of Charm does, and yet I've had some tremendous guests on there. I've had Gary Vaynerchuk and and Guy Kawasaki and and Dan Pink and, and you name it, some really great guests because I asked, because I put myself out there and I asked them and I built a relationship with them. And then, of course, afterwards, I continued the relationship by offering other things to them and and trying to be of value. So, yeah, here's the other thing. You know, you catch somebody who's got some downtime or they're honing their radio skills for something else. They'll do your show even if no one's going to listen to it, because there's people that know that they're going to have a big radio thing going on when they do their book tour or something and, and they've got no dry runs. Oh, yeah. there's a podcast with 400 people downloading it? Yeah, I'll do it. Why not? You know, give yeah. me a chance to work the kinks out of my spiel here. And <laughs> it's great practice. It's very good practice. What kind of mindsets do we have if we want to build relationships and move up the career ladder in our company that we work in or grow our own business? Uh, because, you know, a lot of guys listening are entrepreneurs and self-employed, but even more just go to work and they're listening to this right now in the car and they're thinking at low levels, they'll say, oh, I don't need networking in my job because there's this one trajectory where you start off this way and you get promoted every six months and that's how it works. And it's funny because when I talk to people in the exact same industry who are six, seven, eight rungs up from those people, they go, oh yeah, networking is everything. Or they'll say that until they get laid off. Right. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was really funny, we get a lot of military personnel at the Art of Charm, military guys and intelligence guys. The intelligence guys, of course, their middle name is networking. They're always talking about oh yeah, networking is everything because that's their that's their job. But military guys, lower level guys who are maybe junior officers or not officers yet, they say, oh, you know, it's the military. You don't really network. People assign you things and you just kind of get what you get and it's a time and place thing. And then we interviewed a lieutenant colonel on the show about networking in the military and he was like, yeah, it's one of the most important things you can do. 
Because Mm -hmm. yes, people assign you things when you're a number. But if they go, oh, John Corcoran, yeah, he's a he's that smart kid. I like him. He's a good guy. You know what? I wouldn't mind working with him on this really involved project. And now you're working with a senior officer directly because he likes you. Mm-hmm. Those guys right. can pull strings. You might not be able to pull strings from down below, but if they have a choice of you know spinning the wheel and hoping they don't get some dumb kid from wherever on their team doing some low-level job, and and they can actually pick somebody because they know you and they think, all right, you know, I want that guy in my team. That's that's huge. Once you complete a few projects like that, then you can say, hey, uh, Lieutenant Colonel LeDuke, I'm really interested in this type of stuff. And he goes, well, okay, this project is done, but here's everybody that you've worked with over the past six months. They're always looking for new team members, and now you've got experience, and they know you. That's right, yeah. And I'm not going to profess to be an expert in the ways of the military, but I can tell you that we're all human. And no matter how hard we try and build an organization, whether it's the Air Force or whether it's Google or whether it's Microsoft, you name it, or a small business, we're all human and we want to be, we want to surround ourselves with people who we know, like, and trust. And so it is crucial to develop those relationships. But there's a couple of phrases that come up really frequently when I survey my readers or when I talk to people about building relationships and what holds them back. And big words that come up are self-confidence or lack of self-confidence, fear of failure. Really what this boils down to is having the right mindset. I find that when it comes to having self-confidence, it's important to think about examples like I listed earlier, like Oprah Winfrey, Bill Clinton, Steven Spielberg, and Steve Jobs. But it's also about turning it around. This is a good tool that your listeners can do. Don't worry about yourself. It's not about you. It's not about you being the best storyteller. It's not about you being the best conversationalist in the world. Turn it around and keep the focus on the other person, but there's a little bit of a twist. So let's say you're talking to someone who's very important. It could be a boss. It could be a potential client. It could be someone who's world famous in your industry or someone you want to get to know, whoever it is. Turn things around and ask questions of that person, but do not ask questions about their area of expertise. So let's say I were to meet Donald Trump, right? I'm not going to ask him about building a real estate empire because I can't even compete in that area. I can't compete talking about that because he has so much more knowledge than me and he would just like lose interest talking to me. But I could talk to him about something more personal. I could talk to him about, hey, how are your kids doing? Or I could say, hey, I know you have a house down in Florida. How's the weather down in Florida last week? You know, something like that. Or we could connect over. Maybe he has some cultural interest. Maybe I could we could talk about movies or something. But when you make it more personal in nature, when you're talking with someone and you turn it around and you ask about their interests, then you'll find the spark. So I've talked to I've been very fortunate in my lifetime to talk to some very important people. I've met two presidents, worked for one, worked for Steven Spielberg, you name it. And I've talked to some very important people. I'm not hyping myself up in any way. I'm just using this as an example. But every time when I talk to them, if we keep it on a personal nature, then you find the personality come out. If I were to talk to Steven Spielberg today, I wouldn't ask him about movies. I'd talk to him about something else. I'd talk to him about something personal that he has some kind of passion for. And that's how you get to self-confidence. That's how you get away from failure because you find that spark, you find that common interest, and you find something that two of you can connect over. And then it's not about failure. It's not about self-confidence. It's just about two people having a, a nice, normal human conversation. Right, so you almost take them off the pedestal and you don't think, okay, I've got to figure out, I don't want to talk to Jordan about podcasting you know, to put myself up on that fancy pedestal because I'm just going to go, ugh, this guy's just going to leech for advice and, you know, I've already had conversations 10 times more technical before breakfast and now you're asking me what host I'm using or something. In fact, one of the things that is sort of pet peeve of mine that people always try to do when they're bad networkers is they'll go, oh, you teach guys charisma and conversational skills? Yeah, man, you know, I should totally teach that because I'm like really good with people. And I'm thinking the fact that you said that pretty much proves otherwise. (laughs) And that's, of course, just a douchey comment. But there's a lot of people who will do things like that. They're trying to give value in your area of expertise. But what it comes across as is just kind of a weird, insulting, really pedantic conversation that's really puerile. And you're thinking, okay, all right, I don't need to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. What other types of mindsets will be helpful? You know, we don't need to have something that we can compete on their level in terms of their area of expertise. We don't need to be fancy, rich, uh, that interesting when it comes to our own business. I mean, these are important mindsets to have because a lot of younger people are going, 
yeah, yeah, Jordan and John can network, but they have money and they have networks and they have shows. You know, what about somebody who literally thinks I have nothing to offer? And that's a great example. So I, I want to tell two little stories here. So there's an excellent book out there, which is almost about 100 years old, called How to Win Friends and Influence People. I'm sure lots of people have heard of it. Oh, yeah. If you haven't read it, though, read it, because it's an excellent book. There's a reason why it sold tens of millions of copies. It's by Dale Carnegie. It originally came out in 1936. And there are these great anecdotes in there about people who would go to a social event, maybe a dinner party, maybe a networking event, something like that, and just ask questions. So like, you know, there's an executive that goes to a dinner party and he meets this biologist. He's never met a biologist before. So he just asks question after question. He takes all this interest in the biologist's background and asks all these questions about him and hardly talks about himself at all. At the end of the evening, the biologist goes to the hostess for the party and says, you know, I was talking to that executive over there. He's the greatest conversationalist. And what's so funny about that is that he didn't say hardly anything about himself. And it goes to show you that people like talking about themselves. They like others who take interest in themselves and what they are passionate about. And when you ask questions about that, it's a great way of developing a bond with them. But another very quick story about talking about things of a personal nature. One of the cool things when I worked in the White House for employees and VIPs and governors and members of Congress and stuff like that is you can go down to the Oval Office on a Saturday or Sunday morning and watch the president record the historic radio address. And if you, like if your family's in town. So there's not a lot of people to do it. Maybe like 100 people per time. And so my family was in town and we went down and did this and we knew that there'd be a picture line afterwards. And we wanted to have the opportunity to say a few words with the president, but we knew that the opportunity would go by really quickly. So I got a tip from a friend and I knew that, keep in mind, this was 1999, 2000 or so. President Clinton had just gotten a DVD player and was a big fan of Westerns. So what we did is we bought a couple of DVDs of old Westerns. We put a little bow on them and brought them with us. And when we went through the line, we handed them over to him and he was thrilled. And we ended up having like a five or 10 minute conversation with my dad, who actually used to be a film critic and could talk with anyone about movies. We ended up having this long conversation about Western movies in the heart of the Oval Office and the heart of power. But you know what? It was the most human conversation you could ever have if you just separate the fact that we're standing in the middle of the Oval Office talking to, you know, the world's most powerful man. So the point of that is keep it human, keep it normal, and that will give you the confidence to have a conversation with someone who is influential, someone who is very successful, much more than just sealing yourself up or giving yourself a boost of adrenaline before you go in there. But just actually keeping the conversation on a human level, that's the best thing I think you can do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because it's probably almost unusual for them to have a normal human conversation because they, they literally can't even walk into a Chinese restaurant and be like, Kung Pao chicken, please, because everyone's like, oh, my God, and dropping forks and chopsticks and running over there, right? <laughs> so when you have that kind of normal conversation, it, it makes a, a huge impact for someone like that. I also experienced this growing up because I was in an unusual situation. My dad was a TV news reporter when I was growing up. He was an entertainment reporter, and we lived in different towns when we were growing up, but he was on TV, so pe people recognized him as a celebrity. We'd be out in stores, and people would recognize him. And people would come up, and the people that were the most forgettable are the ones who walked up and said, hey, aren't you on TV, or something stupid like that. <laughs> and the ones who walked up and maybe gave a sincere compliment, maybe said, hey, I saw that review that you did last week, and I really enjoyed it, or, you know, I know you work with the sports guy who does whatever, and he, I, I think he's really amusing, or just have like a normal conversation, or, hey, you know, uh, you're here at this restaurant. If you haven't had the Kung Pao chicken, you'd love it. You know, <laughs> if they give some kind of piece of advice like that, that's a lot more memorable, and that makes much more of an impact to someone who is a VIP, someone who is influential, someone who, you know, is on, quote-unquote, a higher level. Here's the thing. It's not complicated. It doesn't cost you anything. People are out there thinking, cool story, bro, I don't even know how to find the right people to connect with. Right. Even if they do go to a networking event, cocktail party, mixer, any kind of thing like that, how do we find the right people to connect with in the first place? That's a great question. So one of the things that I advise people to do, I have an ebook that's free on my site for people to download, is to create something that I call conversations lists. And briefly what it is, is it's a list of 50 or so people that you want to develop a relationship with over the next, let's say, 12 months. 
So these could be people that you know already. They could be people that you haven't met that you'd like to meet and get to know. They could be people who are world famous in your industry. But the point is they're people that could help you and that you want to help move forward in your career or move your business forward, increase your income, get better clients, whatever it is. Whatever your goals are, these are people that are related to that. So, you know, you could admire some filmmaker, but unless you're in film, there's no point in putting them on the list a degree of people who you know already and also people you'd like to get to know, the top performers in your industry, and then devote yourself to a strategy of doing that. I advise also doing the same thing with events and with organizations. So you create a list of, let's say, eight to ten organizations that would be useful for you for your career or for your business to increase your income, write them down, brainstorm them. Literally, I hope everyone who's listening to this will do this. Take out a sheet of paper and write down eight to 10 organizations and then deepen your relationship with them. So if it's an organization, some social club or professional organization or something, don't just go and become a member. I'm saying you join and then you join a committee or you join the board or you start volunteering or something like that. You really deepen your involvement And then you can test it over time as well. You can figure out after a year whether that was a good use of your time, whether it helped connect you to other things. Same thing can go for events. So let's say conferences. You can list out maybe a half dozen conferences that you think would be useful to your career and then say, okay, these are the ones I'm going to go to. And then you go and you determine whether that was a good use of your time or not. So that's a real strategic approach. I see hardly anyone advising that you do this. I think I'm one of the few people to say that you do this, but if you do that, that 20 minutes that it will take you to do this literally could save you 20 years of effort because so many people just waste time connecting and building relationships with people which aren't really strategically aligned with where they want their business or their career to go, what direction. All right, let's get back to the good stuff. So that's great advice, but to play devil's advocate, what about people who are like, so every relationship you're in is just going to be for your benefit of your business? That's a great point. And you know what? When it comes to friends, there's nothing wrong with letting happenstance happen. It's fine. You can let things be just random. You can let relationships develop or not. But when it comes to actually being focused and driven in your career, why not put that kind of effort in there? I mean, like, let me give you an example you wouldn't randomly go to some graduate program that isn't aligned with what you want to do in your vocation, right? You wouldn't be random about that, but people are just that random about their relationships. They will develop relationships with people who aren't really aligned with the direction that they want to go. What happens with people is when they create this conversation list, particularly the 50 people, when they write down the 50 people who they want to just nurture a conversation with over the next 12 months, they may be surprised with the people who they write down. It might be people different from where they thought they were going. So it turns out their interests are actually going in a slightly different direction from the people that they are currently uh, spending their time with. So I I think it's a valuable exercise for that reason as well. It kind of makes sense, though, because remember when your parents would say, well, you know, you shouldn't be hanging out with those kids. They're bad news. Reminds me of that Jim Rohn quote. who says, you only go as high as your five closest friends. And I think Bill Cosby said show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I love and I hate those quotes because they make sense, but they don't have any oomph to them. There's no specific details to it. You don't really know what to do. How do you find five people that are perfect for you and connect with them? I like to think of this strategy as moving you towards that end result, the Jim Rome end result of having the five people that you you become the average of the five people that that you hang out the most time with. It's kind of very vague, right? It's yeah. like, oh, you only okay. go as high as five closest friends. So you look around the room and you go, oh, fuck, I'm screwed, right? <laughs> it's really tough to let that sink in. But if you do the conversations list, you can look back in three years and go, oh, good. Good thing I steered the ship in that direction versus just letting the winds, quote unquote, fate take me wherever they may. Yeah. And again, I'm not talking about, you know, throw out the friends that you have. That's not what this is about. It, you know, it's fine to have friends and it's fine to let your friends evolve organically. But when we're talking about your career, it's helpful to sit down and write out this list. And you know what? After you're done writing out the list, you might find out when you've written down those 50 people that a lot of them you already spent a lot of time with. And that's great. Or maybe you find out that the people that you spend most of the time with, whether it's of a social nature or business during the work week or whatever, you might find out that they're not aligned, that they're not helpful. 
So you want to start and develop and nurture those relationships. But, you know, the super successful people who are already at the top of the success ladder, they have the same 24 hours in the day that you do and that I do and that Jordan has. So make the most of those hours. There's a lot of people going, okay, got it, got it. Okay, I hope there's a way that they're going to tell me to do this that doesn't involve me talking to strangers because <laughs> I'm not really comfortable with that. And a lot of people listening to the show are taking these things and the tips that we have on the show that are about that in many ways, along with the growth skills we're talking about now. But a lot of people are thinking, okay, I really hope I don't have to just walk into networking events and be fake and talk to people I don't know. It's terrifying. What, what do you say to those guys? Well, number one is you shouldn't be fake. And there's no reason that you should think that you need to be fake. In fact, if you are, that's just going to be a complete waste of your time because eventually it's going to come out. Number two is you should definitely go to the Art of Charm boot camps in L.A. You got <laughs> to do you. that. Thank you. Yes. Appreciate it. <laughs> that's, that's crucial. So right there. But beyond that, there are a lot of people who get nervous when it comes to, especially face-to-face -face networking type of events when you go and, and meet people, uh, especially if you don't know anyone there. And that's natural. You know, something like 90% of the population considers themselves shy or introverted. Be confident in the fact that the other people in the room are feeling the same thing as you. There are a couple things you can do that I recommend you doing. Number one is these days a lot of times attendee lists are published in advance, so that's helpful. You can look in advance and see who's going to be there and maybe say, oh, look, this is someone I'd really like to meet and try and find a way to meet them. Another thing you can do, this is an idea I steal from my friend uh, Dory Clark. She calls it the wingman strategy. You go with someone else to an event and they talk you up and you talk them up. So rather than you kind of trying to brag about something you do that everyone finds off-putting, they're going to talk about you and you're going to talk about them. So if you're in a conversation with someone, that way it doesn't look as, as cheesy as if you were talking about it. But I actually prefer, and maybe this is because I'm a bit of an extrovert, is the opposite of that, which is the, I call it the solo flyer strategy, which is if you're going to go to an event and you've got two hours at a social event where you're going to meet people, if you're with someone else, you're probably going to end up at least a chunk of that time just talking to that other person who you already know, you already have a relationship with. So rather than doing that, Go by yourself. The reason you do that is it forces you. It's forcing your hand. It's a little bit of immersion therapy, but it's important because that will force you to spend your time wisely talking to different people. One good tip you can do is one is asking questions of other people. That always works. And also dribbling little bits of information about yourself can help the conversation flow a little bit more naturally. So let's say you're talking to someone, they mentioned that they're from Chicago, and you say, oh, you're from Chicago? I'm from Chicago. I happen to be from the north side. That's funny, small world. I love to go, go to Cubs games when I'm back there in the summer. So tell me more about where you grew up in Chicago. That way you've turned it back to them. You're asking them another question, but they can pick up on that little nugget of information that you provided, and they can run with it a little bit, and you can find something more in common. That's really solid. There's a lot there. I th so if you can't follow that structure, you're just not trying. Especially the part about the boot camp. Yes, especially, yeah, that goes without saying. Now, the question then becomes, great, okay, I went to the networking event and I met a bunch of really cool people. Now what? Do I just add everybody on Facebook and be like, cool, man, see ya later? Absolutely, especially if you love posting drunken pictures of yourself to your Facebook account. That's mm -hmm. a great way. Add them on Twitter and then forget about it and keep doing that every weekend for 16 years. And you'll have a network. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think that what you're getting at is one of the lowest hanging fruits when it comes to building relationships with people, and that's following up with people. And I am so baffled by this because it's like a hamster wheel, right? If you go to these events and you meet people, and you don't follow up with them, then you're doomed to repeat. You're doomed to go back again, again, and again, and again. You're stuck on the hamster wheel. So what you need to do is follow up and deepen that relationship with the people who matter. Not all of them. Some you'll meet, and then maybe they're not that good a fit, but others you meet, and they're a good fit, and you want to develop that relationship. So there are different ways you can do this, this follow-up strategy. One way of doing it is to like put reminders in your calendar, which is the worst way of doing it because it's inefficient. You'll lose track of people. We all have huge networks, even if we're not really well connected, but they get bigger and bigger as we get older. But another thing you can do is use a CRM program, which stands for Customer Relationship Management. And these used to be just salespeople would use these programs. But nowadays, because we're all more entrepreneurial, or we need to be more entrepreneurial, there are new tools out there. There's Insightly, there's Podio, Salesforce is an old one that's more expensive, but there are less expensive options that are coming out there. I use one called Contactually, 
which I love, and I've got a number of tutorials on my site on how to use it. And basically, this is how it works. It's really simple. You log in with your Gmail credentials and your LinkedIn, your Facebook and stuff like that, and then it draws in that information. It creates unified profiles for people, and then you you develop a priority system for how frequently you want to follow up with them. It's very simple. And then over time, each day, you can have them email you reminders to say, hey, why don't you send a follow-up email to these people? And you can get more sophisticated with it. You can do introductions. That's another thing that I love doing. I, I'm a contributor for Art of Manliness. My last piece was on the power of doing introductions for people. And that's simple. It provides such great value for people. You just think about one person in your network who can meet someone else in your network, like Jordan and I have done for each other, and then you just introduce the two. It's brilliant. It's how we got connected because one of your listeners, Victor, introduced us. Yeah, and it provides such great value. So that's another one that I, I love doing and I highly recommend everyone does it. That's one of my favorites because it's like printing money. And for the guys out there that are like, oh, I don't have anything to offer, right? This is the best way to do it because Victor, let's assume that he's a broke college student or something like that, but he knows you. It's not like you and him go way back or anything. He just likes your show, I assume. Mm -hmm. And then he went, oh, you'd be a good fit for Jordan. So he actually made that intro. And now I owe him one, right, mm -hmm. theoretically. So that didn't cost him anything. He already knew you, and then he made the effort to find your contact information and already had mine. And that was it. Yep. And if you do that 10 times a month or five times a month or once a month, you can reach back out to any of those people and be like, hey, how did that work out with John? Oh, by the way, I could really use a connection to somebody if you know anybody doing XYZ or a, you know, a little letter of recommendation or something, and what am I going to do? Be like, thanks for all those introductions over the past year, but go F yourself. I don't have time for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, right. Not going to happen, right? So yeah. it's brilliant follow-up. And it, like I said, it's like printing money. It's really just printing that networking currency. Yeah, and I'll give you two more examples, both of which I listed in the Art of Manliest article. Um, there's a guy named Chris Johnson who founded with another partner a small film production company that makes mostly small little videos for authors, right? When they have new books coming out, they make these little videos that, you know, can go viral and stuff. Okay. And that's a small business that could very easily remain small if he just continued with the same old thing and had a, a normal small business trajectory. But he had a bigger vision for himself. And so he actually has dedicated himself to making introductions, at least three a day. He usually batches them and does them all in one day or something like that. But that was his goal was three a day. Now he finds that introductions are his number two source of referral business. And his business did about a million dollars in revenue last year, going to do about two million this year. That's the rate of growth that he's experiencing. And it's really just came from a dedicated strategy of doing introductions. And I'll give one other example I gave. I interviewed two guys on my podcast at different times. They both lived in Oregon. One's name was Trevor. One's name was Ben. They lived in different parts of Oregon. I thought they'd like each other. So I introduced them. A year and a half later, they're married. <laughs> right. I, I was waiting for someone to say that. Okay. No, they, they're married to different people, but Ben ended up moving to a city closer to uh, Trevor and they started a business together. Oh, wow. And that business would not have started if it weren't for me making that small introduction. So you better believe they're grateful to me for making that introduction. That's fantastic. Yeah, of course. And now anything you need, even if it's unreasonable, like cat sitting, they have to say yes. Absolutely, yeah. I'm waiting for them to come down and help me move a couch. <laughs> hey, will you help me move? That's such a guy thing too, right? Yeah. Like your boys can always ask you to help them move and you just have to do it. Yep. Because Especially if you start a business. Like, what are they going to say? I'm going to be like, wait a second. You know that business you have? Yeah. It's because of me. You know that new house you bought with that new money that you got because that new business you founded with that guy that I introduced you to? How's that working out? Is it working good for you? Oh, great. Yeah, anyway... And meanwhile, this couch ain't going to move itself, guys. Right, yeah. Come on. You might want to show up early because I have a lot of stuff and it's already boxed up. Pizza's yeah. going to get cold. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. So last but not least, sure, we've got a business with our friend or something like that. That's, that's very tangible. But how else do we measure results? What if I've been making three intros a week for a year? And you know, what if I look back and go, has any of that yielded anything? Is there any return on investment here? I don't understand. Some of those guys maybe have done things with each other, but I haven't heard anything. You know, I haven't gotten anything. I'm still right where I started. How do we measure ROI for our time involved with all this networking? That's great. And if you've done the conversations list strategy at the beginning, then that shouldn't happen because it should be people that are aligned with your goals. 
But even if it does, one thing that's helpful to do is make sure to follow up with the people that you've made the introductions with. In fact, I wouldn't have found out about these two guys starting the business together if I hadn't followed up with them and found out that they had. So that's a good thing you can do. There's a great free tool called intros.to.to that you can use that you just BCC your intros account when you do an introduction and it's a great way of tracking these things. And then what you can do is go back and look at them from time to time and see what dividends come from them. I'll bet if you're using the people on your conversations list strategy to try and develop a relationship with the right people and making the introductions with the right people, then you'll start to see some return. Another strategy that I talk about in the ebook is creating something which I call a monthly accomplishments review. It's basically a one-page worksheet that you outline what your goals are for the month. Then at the end of the month, you go back and you look at whether you hit those goals. So let's say that follow-ups are one of your goals and introductions are one of your goals. Maybe your goal is to do 20 follow-ups per month and 10 introductions per month. At the end of the month, you can easily look on intros or you can easily look on somewhere like Contactually or CRM provider and see whether you hit those goals. Of course, there will need to be some adjustment at some point down the line. And I've got another tool actually in the ebook as well, which is a way of just tracking your incoming referrals. And this is going to work best for someone who's like in a services business who really depends on referrals. Sure. If you have incoming referrals and you write down every one in a spreadsheet and then you write what source they came from, where they came from, over time you'll be able to see patterns emerge and you'll be able to see whether those introductions actually paid off and, and whether you need to tweak your strategy. See, that's really cool because it's otherwise you've no clue whether or not this is doing anything. I'll bet you guys do this already with your boot camps. Like each incoming person who comes to the boot camp, you probably have a place on the incoming form that says, where did you hear How about us? How did you hear about us? Yeah, that's yeah. one of the first things that I ask people after, how's your day going on the first phone call is, how did you find out about us? Because yeah, I want to know. Yeah. If people are Googling us, that's all fine and well, but if there's some blog post on some random guy's blog that got put up and 400 people called as a result, mm -hmm. I want to swaddle that man gently forever. <laughs> That's a big deal for me. So I want to make sure that those relationships are nurtured and maybe the other ones that you think are going to be so awesome, like, oh, my Facebook fan page is 110,000 fans and like one person calls every quarter, you can stop wasting your time with it, right? Right, exactly, yeah. And there are so many tools these days, we don't even get bogged down to that, but there's so many tools these days in tracking those sorts of things, whether it's like an incoming email that you get off a website, if, you're, if you have a website that's for your business. You know, a part of the failure, I think, is if you go and introduce people and then you fail to follow up with them. So, you know, like Victor, give Victor for an example. Victor introduced you and I, and we're both busy guys. So Victor should probably follow up with us a month or two months down the line and just check in with us and say, how's it going? And then that will bring him back to mind for both of us. And both of us will be thinking, how can I help Victor out? How can I repay the favor? Ah, nice. That way we don't just go off on our merry way, skipping and holding hands. And then he's like, guys, wait up. And we're like, who <laughs> right. are you? Yeah, right. exactly. Got it. That's brilliant. And it's instead of saying, so I hope you guys have thought of a way to repay me for this introduction. It's kind of like, hey, just making sure that fruit grew out of that tree, and you're like, oh, okay, we get it, bro. You introduced us without being a D-bag about it. Right, yeah. exactly, which I don't think Victor's going to be, but anyone eh, else. Yeah. Maybe. We'll you see. never know. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll find out. He's kind of, <laughs> he, can, he can be a little testy. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's gotten too much love on the show recently, so we got to knock him down a peg. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, John. I really appreciate it. This is really good because, you know, it's really easy for people to say, it's all about who you know, buddy, and like network, put yourself out there. But that's the dating equivalent advice of, you know, yeah, just put yourself out there or like right. just be confident, you know? Yeah, just network. Right. Cool, I'll do that. WTF does that mean? Uh, thanks yep. for no help, dude. But that was really solid. I love the fact that there's a system guys can use, there's tools guys can use. I'm a little unclear on the intros.to thing, though. How does that track introductions as a point of clarification? Basically, if you're doing an email introduction, so you send an email to someone and it's, you know, you put the two emails in the beginning and then this is the cool thing. There's a plugin with, with Gmail that you can download so that I'll start to type out an introduction. I put the two email addresses in and then I'll say like introduction in the subject line or maybe in the content or something. And it'll give me a little prompt. It'll remind me, say, do you want to BCC my at intros.to question mark? And then I'll just click that button, say yes, I'll CC it. And then when I do that, I've got an intros.to page that lists all my introductions. 
I just log into that page or you can get, you know, a list of all the introductions you've done. And at the end of the month, you can literally look back and be like, okay, I made two introductions, but my goal is to make 10 this month. These are the people that I introduced and it shows their email addresses right there. That's a really good goal too. I think maybe guys should start out with like, let's do one intro per week. And it can be anything. Oh, my neighbor needed a landscaper and mine's pretty good. Introduction. Just little tiny things like that to show people, literally it's the thought that counts 90% of the time because let's be honest, most people don't follow up on introductions anyway. People in business who are successful do mercilessly. I follow up on every introduction. I mean, there's people that I'll have coffee with and this goes outside of your conversations list type skill thing, but I'll have coffee with somebody who's like a video game designer that knows my friend's dad or something and I'm just like, you know what, whatever. But when you'd be surprised how often those pan out. The difference is, I always make time and prioritize guys that are according to my goals. Like if I have coffee with a video game designer and that conflicts with coffee with somebody who is a content specialist at Apple, you know, somebody's getting bumped, right? right. So it makes sense to to prioritize that, but it doesn't necessarily make sense to only network with people that can help you because I'll be the first to admit usually I don't see how that person's going to plug in to my network or be able to help me right away. I literally have no idea most of the time. And the majority of intros that I do get, I usually end up helping those people and then sometimes forgetting about it. But whenever I do need something, I see the power of that network because I'll put something out on Facebook or or ask people and he'll be like, "We him and I talked six months ago and he helped me out with this random thing and I go, oh yeah, that's right, I did help him with something. After somebody introed him to me for him to help me, I ended up helping him and, and it's still there. That goodwill is still there. That happens to me as well, you know, where I find that someone who's a subscriber to my email list or something like that or follows me on social media on Twitter or something, you know, who I helped with something months ago and honestly I don't even remember that I did it, will chime in and help me out with something or retweet something that I've written or, or, or whatever. And that frequently does happen where if you put that goodwill out into the world, people will certainly repay you. Right. And a lot of people use this weird metaphysical terms like, oh, it's the law of attraction. It's like, no, it's a very deliberate process that has very practical application, very concrete skill set. There's nothing woo woo. There's no, it's easy to say, put it out into the world and people go, yeah, the universe will repay you. No, Mm -hmm, no, mm -hmm. it's your network. Don't get it confused with good vibes and stuff like that. This is direct, tangible benefit for all involved. So thanks so much, man. This has been really, really solid. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jordan. I believe in taking care of myself in a balanced diet and a rigorous exercise routine. Hey guys, I'm here with my friends Chris and Greg from the Road to Ripped podcast, and we're going to talk a little bit more about how to build that Hollywood physique. I think when a lot of people get fit or looking to get fit, they're actually starting to, they have that sort of unhealthy, well, okay, when I get to 6% body fat, then, you know, I'll feel happy. Or, you know, once I get my diet perfect, or I need to really get everything perfect, or I'm doing it wrong. I mean, this obsession with it, I think is what stops most people from succeeding in a lot of ways. I mean, this comes down to any goal in life, but what you'll see happen very commonly in the fitness um, industry is someone's whole value system will be just put into looking a certain way. They'll be like, okay, you know what? I'll finally feel enough. Um, you know, like life will find, like life will be perfect and everything will make sense and, um, everything will be great when I have like that 6% body fat. Right. And so in the present moment right now, they feel deeply inadequate. Um, and that mentality right there just destroys their ability to make progress because they're constantly obsessing about everything. They want those results right now. Um, this, it's just this journey, this adventure to get into their goal just becomes this big struggle. Um, and it just and there's this urgency that just kills everything along the way. Um, it really takes the the liveliness and takes the joy out of out of the adventure. So really, right now, it's like no matter where you want to go, no matter what goals you have, you have to just accept yourself right now mm-hmm. and be like, you know what, I, this is where I am. I totally accept it. I want to improve, but like, but um, I'm not. But I'm I'm happy and I'm complete right now. I'm doing this because this is what I want. But it's not to make myself feel complete because that in itself is an illusion. Sure, sure, that makes sense. And, and here's a way to do that: you just chill, take a chill pill instead of trying to to make a huge physique transformation in eight to twelve weeks, like most people do. You know, right. some crazy ninety day transformation or whatever. Um, push that out for a year or two. Just give yourself the time. Tell yourself, okay, I've got a year, two years. I'm just going to 
you know, focus on being healthy in general, making the right decisions every week and having a better week than I had last week every week. And over time, over that period of time, which is a relatively short period of time, if most people think about how long they've been struggling, then you will actually get where you want to go. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that'll ask at the Art of Trauma, they're like, I'm going to come in, but for the next, you know, three months, I'm focusing on losing 50 to 100 pounds. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that that's not going to happen. You're going to feel bad about yourself. And then you're just going to have not hit a goal because you're not building habits. You're like, some guys, they're not even working during this time. They're like, I'm just working out. And I'm like, you're not even, that's not even helping you, no. you know? I mean, that's why I believe in concurrent life improvement. Um, people try to focus on one thing in isolation. And it just it doesn't work to lead to a balanced lifestyle. Yeah, that makes sense. For more from Greg and Chris, go to RoadToRipped.com or find them podcast in iTunes at Road to Ripped. All right, show feedback and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know at JordanH at TheArtOfCharm.com. Boot camp details for our live programs also at TheArtOfCharm.com. And that's where you're going to find links to us on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media as well. If you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher or something like that, then that needs to change. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or computer is the best way to make sure you don't miss a thing. You can do that by going to iTunes and searching for The Art of Charm podcast or by going to theartofcharm.com slash iTunes and clicking subscribe. That's really it. And you guys can help us. Subscribe in iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Write something nice and we will love you forever. Just go to iTunes.com slash The Art of Charm and it'll take you right there. When you write us a review, it not only makes us feel proud, but it helps keep us up in the ranks so that other people who can use this information can find the show more easily to get the credible advice that they need. It's also the best way to support the show other than purchasing products and training from us. So tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything better than you found it.